Pastor Dave, please come on up. Thank you for sharing today. Well, cell phones, I can compete with. Babies, I don't have a chance. So would you take, take the baby, you know? <laughs> right. It was, Carol, and my privilege, and, and probably the most fulfilling and joyous days and years of our life to uh, serve here at Happy Valley. Uh, for those of you who we haven't met, and I am delighted that there's a bunch of faces I can't put names on. I've heard the names, but I, I get them all jumbled up because you know you're 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 newer than than I am, and and, and that's a good thing. And uh, so, if we really haven't met or spent much time, um, forgive me and. You'll have to introduce yourself and tell, tell me your names. And for those of you who have known a long time, you still have to tell me your names. Uh, <laughs> the, the mind isn't as sharp as it used to be, and sometimes things get fuzzy and lost. Um, we were privileged to be here for 26 years. Carol served predominantly in the music and the, the children's ministry department. Um, I came right out of Bible college. They stuck me into being the youth pastor. I had no calling to be a youth pastor. But some of you survived those years, and I appreciate it that you're still here. And that's amazing. And then uh, eventually pro progressed through the ranks and then had the privilege to be the senior pastor here. And we served for, what, 16 and a half years in that role till God surprised us as well as the congregation and asked us to move and uh, go into the missionary ranks of the evangelical church. As Jim said, we were privileged to serve both in Brazil and now with our Navajo folks, Native Americans down in New Mexico. Um, so I'm going to make this really simple. Carol is going to speak this morning, but she's going to do it by way of a pre-recorded video that you're going to see first. Now, I'm supposed to tell you, don't be offended if you pick up on that this is probably not aimed at the average IQ and intelligent level of Happy Valley people. That's because we made this video a couple months back for a children's Awanas group for uh, the a church in Minnesota, which happens to be Carol's sister's church, and they've become great supporters of our ministry, and they ask us to put together something to help the children understand. But I happen to like it, and I think it, it you know, yeah, it communicates to me, and, and so I'm hoping it'll communicate to you. It will give you just a thumbnail overview of a little bit of where we serve, the kind of people we serve, um, a little bit of the culture, and just kind of introduce you to it. And so uh, carry it away. Wherever that thing comes on, I'll get out of the way and let you guys watch this.
Hi, boys and girls. My name is Carol Kokendorfer, and this is my husband, Dave, Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave is the pastor of Kirtland Hope Evangelical Church. You will notice that our church is a lot smaller building than your church. In fact, this is a home. A lot of buildings here are what we call a mobile home, which means this building was not built right here. It was built in two sections that they put wheels underneath and then they brought it down the road to where it is now. Let's go inside and what, look what, see what it looks like inside. our sanctuary where the people come and sit on Sunday morning. Pastor Dave stands here, not on a platform or anything. We're just in a living room and this is where he preaches. And this is where I sit and play the piano just like Mary Bailey plays in your church. Mary Bailey is my sister. Um, you will notice that there are couches and some of our people like to be the first ones to get here so they can get the nice soft cushions that are comfortable to sit on. So there is, it's like a house. So we have a nice kitchen where on, on Sundays sometimes we have a potluck dinner and we all sit here and eat. On Wednesdays we, have a, we eat a meal and then have a prayer time. Because it's like a house, there are bedrooms. So one bedroom is used for a nursery and there's some other storage. At the very other end of the house is one more big bedroom that we use as a classroom and there's one more room that is Pastor Dave's office. Now we're gonna go outside. Okay, we are outside right beside our church. There is a small, um, playground area for the children. We have a swing set. And walking behind our church, you will see there is just a wide open desert. There aren't really any trees, hardly any plants. It's just brown desert. But you will see in the distance that there are, they kind of look like a flat mountain. Here they are called a mesa which is the Spanish word that stands for table. And over here there is, you'll see the white tops of some mountains. Those are some regular big tall mountains, but they are in the state of Colorado. We are close enough to the state to see that. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of just open wide desert. Okay, we are back inside where I'm going to just show you some pictures. This is a picture of just more of the area where we live. You will notice there are some really interesting big rock formations. Again, not much for trees, just lots of different colors of the, of the dirt and the rock. So we are missionaries in the state of New Mexico. So you are way up here in Minnesota. And you come down here to the yellow part. This is our state of New Mexico. There's a bigger picture of it. So this is the state of New Mexico. We're way up in the northwest corner. We're in Kirtland, but we're near the bigger city of Farmington. And we are very close to an area that is called the Four Corners National Monument. Four Corners means that that's where four 
states come together, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and our New Mexico. Um, down below New Mexico is a different country, the country of Mexico. So a lot of the words that are used and a lot of the type of food that is eaten comes from the country of Mexico, a lot of Spanish things. And that's why I told you about the mountain outside that are called mesas, because that's a Spanish word. We work with the Navajo Indians. Navajo is kind of an interesting spelling word. It's N-A-V-A-J-O, but the J is pronounced as an H, Navajo. And the Navajo have their own nation. It goes way into Arizona, a whole bunch, some of it into New Mexico, little bit up into Utah. So that's a really interesting thing for the Navajo nations because they live in two countries at the same time. They're Navajo nation and then our country of the United States of America. We right here in Kirtland do not live in on the nation. We are really close to it. In fact, where Dave and I live in our house, we can look across the river and look into the nation, or we it's just a several miles down the road to drive there. Some of the people that attend our church here live in the nation. One time we went for a ride, a lady who was attending our church took us to the city where she grew up. That particular day, they were having a fun day, a big celebration that they do once a year. They get together and just do a lot of fun things. And this is one of their favorite things, that the young men like to have a bareback horse race. Another very interesting thing that that lady showed us is this is a typical, it's called a hogan. Years ago, sometimes they actually lived in little houses like this. More commonly, they would build these out uh, in the desert where they would have sheep. Many of the people are, sh are shepherds. They, they take care of sheep. So they would build something like this where they could get out of the hot sun during the day and it's where they would sleep at night. And um, they would find areas with enough grass and kind of some, you know, some weeds that would have some nutrition in them <laughs> that the sheep can eat. They use sheep a lot. Quite a few of the Navajo have sheep. And so um, one of the things that they are known for is making wool rugs. So the lady who took us to show us that Hogan and her she grew up in an area where they took care of sheep. She herself took care of sheep. And her mother had taught her how to weave with the wool. So they cut the wool off of the sheep. And then they know how to clean it and spin it so it's nice round yarn that they can use to weave. They also know about some of the weeds that just the natural bushes and plants that grow in the desert some of them have um, a substance inside them that makes pretty colors so some of the the gray and the black has been dyed from those kind of weeds 
but the rest of it is natural colors from the different sheep, the brown sheep and the white sheep. So the lady that showed us that made this wool rug for me. If we go inside that hogan that we saw, it would look like this. Um, again, they typically didn't spend a lot of time. They were usually outside with their sheep and doing other, other things. But when they needed to make a meal or to sleep at night, this is where they would be. It's just one room, one round room that they would set up a cot. And usually right in the middle, there was some kind of stove that they could use. And this shows the top part. They have taken stumps of trees. Their kinds of trees aren't very big. They aren't as big as the ones in Minnesota. But they will take what stumps they can and they will form them together until it makes that rounded roof like we showed. Notice there's a hole in the roof, which is where the smoke would be allowed to go up when they were cooking on their fire. This is a more modern one. This is a, also called a Hogan. This is not very far from Pastor David, my house. Um, so it's not made with the rock and the mud like the other one. This is just made from regular wood. But it is made in different sections. There are eight sections that will make kind of make a round effect as well. And some people would live in this more commonly. They make a building like this for them to have special celebrations and uh, parties for their family. On our trip, the lady also took us to one of her relatives' homes. This is a very typical fancy patio, as they, <laughs> that we would call it. It's where they have built um, our Especially in the summer time, we get a lot of sun, and so it's very hot. So they build something like this to make shade. And um, especially the women use it because they work a lot outside um, preparing their food. And they very often cook outside in an open fire. Here you will notice one of the trees. This would be the typical size tree. There aren't very many of them, but what trees they have, that's what they look like. So they make these posts from that. And this is Grandma tending the fire, and notice she is cooking um, tortillas. This is very typical. Again, I said that we live near New Mexico, uh, Mexico, the country of Mexico, and so a lot of the influence of what they eat is from Mexico, so they make a lot of tortillas. This man is bringing out a pot of mutton stew, so we, you know, we typically eat a lot of cow, which we call beef, the meat from beef is, from a cow is called beef, the meat from sheep is called mutton, and so he is bringing out some mutton stew, which they really like to eat. Besides the tortillas, another thing that they make really often, usually outside, is their fry bread. So they take a, they make a dough, and then they take the dough in their hand and start forming it, pulling it apart nice and flat, trying to make it as round as possible. When they get it out a ways, then they kind of flop it back and forth with their hands so it's nice and flat. Then they drop it in the hot oil 
and cook it until it's a golden brown on each side. It kind of puffs up. There's kind of some holes inside. And that is one of their favorite things to eat. Often they will take the fry bread and make what they call Navajo tacos. So you know what a taco is. They just take the fry bread and put taco stuff on top. They will have uh, taco flavored ground beef, the hamburger and some beans and some lettuce and tomato and cheese. And it's very yummy. That's one of their favorite things. When you just drive down the road, it is common to see something like this that is called ro roast mutton. Uh, again, that's sheep meat. And so they have roasted it and they will make a sandwich out of it, or put it on the, the fry bread. Um, and they really like that. This is just a picture of some people of our church. This picture was taken in our backyard. We had a party on the 4th of July and had a lot of fun together. These are people that Pastor Dave and I have really grown to love. And this is some of the children that we have worked with. They don't know Jesus. They, um, many of these, this was, we, we put on a play for the Christmas story because many of these children had never heard the Christmas story. They never heard of Jesus and coming in as a baby and that whole story. And so um, I taught them the story and so they could act it out. Pastor Dave and I are missionaries here because the Navajo people have, they don't have people that go like to a Bible college um, to learn how uh, learn the Bible and learn how to be a, a a leader of a church, to be a pastor, to be a teacher, and so they need people and missionaries like us to come and teach to them and preach to them and teach them all about Jesus. So I want to thank you so much for for giving and for praying for us and supporting us. We need your prayers. Um, Pastor Dave and I live a long ways away from our family. Sometimes we get lonesome. Um, and sometimes this is kind of a hard, lonely place to work. But we love the people, and um, they need to know Jesus. So thank you for supporting us. Didn't she do a good job? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I don't need to speak. Leave your, leave, leave your money in the black box and we're good, okay? All right. You think I'm joking? Oh. Acts chapter 26. Paul, who was gung-ho for God in all the wrong ways, got struck down on the road Damascus, actually his name was Saul first, got struck down on the road to Damascus by the shining light of Jesus revealing himself, and he had a dramatic conversion. He changed uh, literally overnight from being a persecutor of the church to being the greatest missionary that we have recorded in the pages of the New Testament traveling all over the world of his day. 
planting churches, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And when that event happened in his life, Jesus himself gave this new convert, Paul, his marching orders. I don't think you can improve on what Jesus says, so why should I try, right? So Jesus, this is Paul's own testimony uh, as he gave it to others in Acts chapter 26, beginning with verse 15. He said, then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, those of you who know me know we could preach on this for quite a while. <laughs> but <laughs> let me just say it's a pretty clear outline. When we get to know Jesus as personal Savior, at least according to what happened in Paul's life, the first thing he was told is, get up and stand up. We're going places, folks. I, that's my paraphrase. But Jesus said, being a Christian is not about, you know, sitting on these comfortable padded pews or on our you know, this whole thing of doing church online, I am too old. <laughs> you, you know, you, you sit there in your bathrobe, drink your coffee, and run to the bathroom three times and call it church. That's weird. That is weird. Anyway, Mike, okay, enough of the political commentary. Okay. Um, you, you know, God says, get up, stand up. I'm going to take you places. And if you're really committed to me, you're going to follow. You're going to go where I tell you to go. You're going to follow where I lead. So that was the first thing. Friends, you and I are responsible to stand ourselves up and say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to witness. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to, you fill in the blank, Lord, but I'm ready. Here I am. I'm standing up. I'm ready to go. And then he says, you've been appointed, notice, as a servant and a witness. The longer I serve in the, mis in, well, the, in, in the minister ranks, but in the missionary ranks, I'm absolutely convinced that those who make it on a foreign field or a cross-cultural field or anything that stretches them beyond their comfort level, their, their, their own little box that they're in, first have to be servants, then they will be witnesses. Because I guarantee you, about 80% of what Carol and I are doing is just serving people. And that takes a hundred different forms. Rides in the car for, to all kinds of places, 
cutting firewood, hauling coal for fireplaces, uh, just praying with, laughing with, uh, crying with, helping in any and every way that avails itself. And yes, sometimes it takes advantage of your time and your effort and your energy, but it's always worth it because by being a servant, it opens the door to being a witness, to saying, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> let me tell you why I'm willing to be your servant. And that Jesus wants to make a difference in your life. But then he goes on to say, I'm going to rescue you. You know, when you follow the Lord, he may put you in scary places, but you don't have to be afraid. You got that? He might lead you to places that stretch your comfort zone, but you don't have to be afraid. He says, I'm going to deliver you, Paul. And Paul was in a whale of a lot more scary, life-threatening places than I've ever been in. But he said, I will protect you, and I will guide you, and I will care for you. And then he says, here's what you're going to say. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to these people, both Jews and Gentiles. In other words, both people that you identify with and get along with and people that are way different than you. Okay, both. And he says, I want you to preach or teach or lead or minister, whatever word you want to use there, in such a way that it will open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Oh, man, do we see that. There are many people right here in Happy Valley, but also down on Navajo land that live in darkness when it comes to spiritual things and the knowledge of Jesus and a personal heart relationship with the God who created them. They are in darkness, folks. Oh, they may have glorious homes, they may have great paying jobs. They may have this beautiful looking family. They may have all the stuff of life. But as far as spiritually, they are in darkness. And not only in they are in darkness, their eyes are closed. Some of them don't even realize there's something different. There's something better. There's something real. There's something that lasts beyond just the physical comforts and stuff they can get for right now. There's something that will take them from here into eternity into the very presence of God. And the reason for that is, is because you're also, he says, going to turn them from the power of Satan to God. Friends, we live in a world that's still full of humongous, um, is that a good word? Humongous amount of spiritual warfare. Satan has got people in their grips. And they need to be delivered. And I don't care whether they're the up and outs living in the nicest place here in Happy Valley or the down and outs, uh, like some people I'm going to tell you about in just a minute, living in a little shack <laughs> in, in a dusty road on the reservation somewhere it really doesn't matter if you're up and out or down and out you're still out and people are being held by the grip of satan either in their fears or their traditions or their superstitions or their their world concept their world view of what they can and can't do until they hear that 
as we sing today, freedom comes in Jesus Christ. And when they hear that, there's a chance that if they'll listen and obey and yield and submit, that they can receive the glorious presence and salvation of Jesus in their lives. And that glorious change, he, he describes it here, forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified. People need to repent, believe in Jesus, and have their sins washed away and have a glorious new relationship. But they also need to be set apart and cleansed from that old carnal nature that keeps dragging them back into the old way of living so that they can be filled with God's spirit and live in victory. I won't ask for a show of hands because I know in politeness you'd all put up your hands. Do you believe we can live in victory? Do you believe that with the spirit's power there is something other than a doldrum drudgery? Oh, I'm a Christian. I, I hope I make it through another day. If that's what you still believe, I hope you get it fixed before we get to heaven because I don't want to live next door to you. <laughs> okay? Let me tell you about a family. Now, I'm not going to... I We really could be here for a couple more sermons if I told you everything about this family I could tell you about. But uh, sometime in late 2015, we were made aware of a man in our church started talking about his cousin named Elsie. Elsie is just about three years younger than Carol and I, and so that makes her about 29. Um, so, <laughs> so we were hearing about Elsie, and little by little, uh, through a chain of events and circumstances, we began to get involved in Elsie's life. She lives in Shiprock on the reservation, which is about 20 miles down the road from us. At first, it was just real simple. Holler a load of coal for her stove, holler firewood so she, you know, to help her stay warm through the winter. She literally lived in a shack that most of you wouldn't even use to put your animals in, if you have animals, Okay. It had, it had all kinds of disrepair. Every window was broken or gone. The door was a sheet of plywood she nailed at night in order to be secure. Um, there are no workable uh, utilities hooked up in her house. There are some available, but she has no job. So if you have no job, you can't pay your bills. So there is no running water. There is no electricity. Uh, Cooking is either over coal or fire, unless you just happen to be able to buy some propane and, you know, have a little propane stove or something. Um, uh, that was the condition we first were introduced to Elsie. When Carol first went to a, a women's event with her, um, at the end of that event, she said, Elsie, do you know the Lord Jesus? Because there was this altar call being given for the ladies. And Elsie said, oh, yes, I do. I'd like to go to church if somebody would take me. But hardly ever does anybody show up and take me to church. And then she started to cry. She said, but my children, 
I try to tell my children. Now, she has five adult children. One oldest son that lives clear over in Phoenix, so he's a ways away. But four other children that were local, all in their 30s, pushing 40 at that point. And she said, they don't want to listen to me. They don't want me to tell them about Jesus. They, they're all out doing all kinds of wild and crazy and destructive things with their lives. And, and, and you know, our hearts just broke. You know, you've got to be involved with somebody like that. And so over these last years, since about early 2016, we've become more and more and more involved in Elsie and her children's lives. Her youngest daughter is named Erica. She has, uh, of the four that had, not the oldest son, but of the four that had the same father, there were two boys and two girls. The youngest is a daughter named Erica. Often when I would get to Elsie's house, Erica was staying in a little, Elsie's was a shack. Her daughter's was a smaller shack next door in the same piece of property. Often she would stumble out so drunk that her sentences were run on words that made very little sense to me. Sometimes I, I witnessed guys climbing out of the window to get away uh, for whatever reasons. I don't know. I don't think I'm that scary. But anyway, they, they, they didn't want to be known as being there. Um, the lady has had one trauma after another in her life. Uh, she had had four children herself. Uh, this is the daughter, Erica, had had four children, all of which were removed from her for being an unfit mother and in foster care, uh, thankfully, with other family members, but were being raised by other family members. So those, that kind of a relationship went on for a couple years, and then one day, Erica shows up at church with a young man. Now, I, I, you got to understand, I think Erica had only darkened the door of our church with her mother one time before that, over that whole period of time. And here she was with a guy. Now, you got to picture this guy. He's a, he, was a, he's, he was a fairly slim build, as Navajo go, not real tall, probably five foot eight, maybe, something like that. I Right now, I'm 5'10", right now. I used to say I'm six foot, but... Somebody keeps stealing part of my body. I don't know what's happening. But anyway, so he's a little shorter than me. Um, uh, and if his head is shaved or, or the hair is cut, you would see he has an elaborate tattoo that covers the whole back of his head and neck. And I think if he takes off his shirt, it goes other places that, you know, I don't know. Um, and he... His name was Eric. Now, this makes the story really interesting because you've got Erica and Eric. And here's the kicker. They both had the same last name, Benali. Okay. Now, they're not related, but in the Navajo Reservation, you've got a, a handful of names that are last names that are very common, Benali being one of them. You can find Benalis everywhere. And so you've got two families with the same last name. And here, Eric and Erica are together in church. And he declares, I just got out of prison. That's a good start, right? Um, you know, if, if you have a daughter, you know, that, that, that's your recommendation. Find someone who just got out of prison 
and, and you know, hook up with them. And when I say hook up, I literally mean hook up with, with them, okay? And so now they're together. And so over the next couple years from that point on, we've had lots of interactions with Eric and Erica. Medical things. Sometimes he would help me go cut firewood for the family. Sometimes they would live there with Elsie on her home. But it was an on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again relationship. Because when Erica, when Eric is in his right mind and sober, he is the sweetest, nicest, he's a con man is what he is. But he talks smooth, he's pleasant to be around, he's a nice guy. But if they go get a few bucks in their pocket and go to town, I've come to dread the words, we're going to town. Because going to town means we're going to hang out with some friends on the street, we're going to we're going to drink or do whatever else we can get our hands on. And it always means getting in trouble. Often it means getting thrown in jail overnight uh, or arrested for something. And in Eric's case, he's not a happy drunk. He's a mean, angry drunk. And he argues and he fights and more than once, he would take Erica back to his home where his mother and brothers live, who were also all drinkers, over in Arizona, a place called Red Rock, which is way out in the middle of nowhere in the reservation. I'll tell you how far in the middle of nowhere it is. The police have warrants out for him, and they don't even go looking for him. <laughs> you know, because he could be anywhere out there. Okay. And then they'd be gone for a month, and then all of a sudden, Erica would come dragging home with a big old black eye or a bruise somewhere on her body, and she would come back at home and say, oh, he was mean again, and he got in a fight, and I don't want to ever talk to him. You know how long she never wanted to talk to him? About a month. And then they were back together again. And I don't know how many times we counseled her, you got to make up your mind that it's not worth it. But she's so needy and so hurting and so desperate. And when he's sober, he's the nicest guy to her and he's going to build her a palace in the sky and he's going to take care of her. So after about two years of this on and getting off again, you know what brilliant idea they had? Let's make a baby. Of course. And they made a beautiful baby boy. He looks a lot like his dad. And his dad's a nice-looking young man. He's this cutest little guy. Here's the funny thing. They named him Che. C-H-E-I-I. -I. And Navajo, you know what Che stands for? Old man grandpa. <laughs> Everybody going, why did you name your baby that? <laughs> so, here they got little Che. And again, the relation is on again, off again. They're doing good for a while. They're not doing good for a while. They talk really good for a while, and then they talk really mean for a while. She gets beat up a couple times, stays home for a while, and then they're back together again. And Carol and I are just like, isn't this an inspiring message I'm bringing for <laughs> Sunday morning? You know? 
You see, I don't believe missionaries should come home and sugarcoat the truth or the reality. And we keep coming to you guys and we say, pray for us. Well, what do we pray for? I'm telling you what to pray for. Okay? Friends, there are people bound by Satan in darkness. Now, it gets even better, this story. Because in 2019, they went back to Arizona again, and he got picked up on another outstanding warrant that I didn't know. They never tell you how many outstanding warrants they have against them, but there was some outstanding warrant. He got picked up and thrown in. Well, first he got thrown in jail. He has some medical issues, which I won't go into all that. Um, including a dent on his head the size of a softball, but that, you know, that, you know, one of those things, right? And um, they took him to a medical facility while he was in custody to get addressed. <laughs> he walks away. Well, that automatically gets you thrown in for, you know, uh, escaping custody. You know, you're a fugitive now, and when they pick him up again, now he's in for a long time. So she's got this beautiful little baby, so she has to do what? Come back home and live with mom again. And he's in jail. So that started in 2019. All of a sudden, he decides he's going to write me. Thinking, well, this is interesting. He writes me a letter. Pastor Dave, this is the nice son. I'm studying the Bible, and I'm reading some books. And I'm getting my life straightened around. And I'm taking classes and on and on. And I'd like to do Bible study with you. Would you pray for me? Now that also comes with a price tag. Because I found out in the prison system, at least in Arizona, I don't know how it works around here. I've never been there. I've never done that. But if he wants to make a phone call, he gets a half an hour free phone call once a week on Sunday. Well, that's usually calling home to Eric, Erica to talk to her about how her life is going. But if he wants to call anybody else, he's got to have a prepaid phone pass. So, Pastor Dave, would you put money on the phone credits for me so I can call you at 21 cents a minute? So, you know, I... And, and he's not a fast talker. He likes to call me about once a week, and he'll talk for half an hour. So your faithful financial support of missionaries has gone to prison phone time. In addition, there's a commissary, and they give them little jobs to do in the prison where they can earn a, a little bit of money. But... He's always calling and saying, well, I'm out of my, what he calls personal hygiene. I would call it toiletries. I'm, I'm out of stuff. And I also don't like the food they're feeding me, so I'd like to buy some extra snacks. Could you put some money on a commissary for me? So I figured, I found out how to use Western Union and other things this year, that, last year, that I never had any intention of using. And I don't know how many hundreds of dollars I've helped him with, with, commissary, because it's also good stuff. If he wants to buy paper to write a letter or a stamp, you can't send him a stamp because I apparently know how to put drugs on the back of stamps so <laughs> when you lick them, anyway, you can't even send it to him. you got to buy it at the commissary. So all that to say, we begin communicating. 
by letter and by phone. I have a stack of letters like this on my desk at home. And you would be amazed at the glowing Bible study verse commentary answers to questions that this guy writes. I mean, I was flabbergasted. Carol and I would read these letters and we go, maybe something has really happened in Eric's life. This is amazing. At one point, he was supposed to get out. He doesn't always get back straight. I drove all the way, whole day's drive, over to the Phoenix area to pick him up. Nobody will tell me anything. He's not coming out the door. They won't even tell me where he is. They won't give him a message from me or nothing. I had to get a hotel stay overnight. The next morning, went back again and insisted that they tell me something so I knew whether I had to stay or leave. Found out he was not getting out. He had not even been processed to get out. And then later found out that while I was there, he was away at a medical facility getting medical treatment, but they wouldn't let him use the phone to call me. So I go back home. That was sometime what? Oh, I'm supposed to use the mic. <laughs> Doesn't work over here. Sorry, Chris. She was in my youth group. She deserves it. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't even think about the mic. Anyway, all that to say, he finally got out of prison in February of this year. Carol and I went over, picked him up. Our church had graciously, okay, Elsie, the older lady, the, the mother of, 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 of Erica, did not really want him in her home. I never could figure out if Erica wanted him or didn't want him. One week I want him, next week I don't want him. Next week I do want him, next week I don't want him. So I didn't know. I honestly didn't know when I left home to pick him up. You know. But I knew this, if he really was a believer, it was not a good situation for him to go back to Elsie's home for all kinds of reasons. Our church had graciously extended to him the offer because, as you saw, our church is basically a mobile home. We have a bedroom that's all set up that we've left as a bedroom. We've extended to him the opportunity to live there, be helped. I would mentor him. We would give him transportation to find a job and everything we suggested. Oh, yes, Pastor Dave, that's what I need. I got to get a good job. I got to get a regular job. I want to get help, help Eric, uh, Erica and the baby and, and get our family together, etc., etc., etc. I had sent him, we had written up a formal contract. I mean, not like an impressive thing, but here's what we expect from you. Here's what we'll provide. Sign your name. When I picked him up, he said, oh, okay, I didn't sign it yet, but I will. You got a pen. He, he, if I'd have handed him pen, I just didn't happen to have a pen in my pocket at that moment. I said, well, hey, when we get back to town, we'll sign it. We'll move you in. Everything's kosher. Everything's cool. And, and Carol and I, for six hours driving home, the conversation was all the commitment he was going to make and everything he was going to do. 
He asked to borrow my phone. He called his mom, let her know he was out. I think he called, tried to call a brother. And then he, he did call Erica. I didn't know he was going to call Erica, but he did call Erica. And I didn't hear the other side of the conversation, but I think it went something, can you come and stay here? And I heard his answer, and his answer is what made me to believe that was the question. But he said, well, no, I can't. You know, I've, the situation is such that I can't. But he was really kind of sad and depressed. Out of the stupid goodness of my heart, I thought, it couldn't hurt, could it, <laughs> to just stop for five minutes so he could say hello I'm out. I'm going Pastor Dave to the church, which he already knew, and I'll talk to you later. That couldn't hurt, right? <laughs> we stopped. He went in. He came out. He opened up the back of my vehicle, grabbed the one bag of three changes of clothes that I'd taken for him to get out of the prison issued uh, clothing. He said, I'm staying. I said, you can't, Eric. One, you're on parole. Two, you've committed to go and make something out of your life. And three, I'll see doesn't even want you here. I don't care. You can't make me. I'm going to do what I think is best and right for my family. Now, I was stupid for stopping. But I never dreamed that would happen. All the way home, I kicked myself while I was driving. That's a pretty interesting thing to watch. But I, I kicked myself all the way home. How could I have been so short-sighted? How could I have been so dumb? How could have I been so fooled? How could have I not seen? Friends, we sometimes get away from those old terms like conversion transformation but until that's real in someone's life they cannot fully be delivered from the grasp of the devil the darkness they're in and it is real and it will keep people out of heaven and destroy their lives on the way between here and there let me in a little more positive. <laughs> how do you pray for missionaries? One, how do you pray for Carol and I? Pray for our sanity. Mine was a little iffy to begin with. But pray for it on those kinds of days. You won't know, but the Holy Spirit will prompt you. He might wake you up. He might remind you. If you've got our picture somewhere, you know, you might come across it. Just, just pray that whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with for that day, that hour, that moment, somehow we would have wisdom and love and patience and understanding and the ability to speak the words of God in a timely fashion because it is way beyond us. It is way beyond us. And it's a real battle. It's a real spiritual warfare. 
pray that the power of darkness and the power of Satan would be broken in people's lives. Friends, we're not just playing games. You're not just playing games. It's real. You know it in some of your families. There are people right now that you're carrying burdens for that until the power of Satan is broken, those people are as lost as lost can be. And we want them found. Jesus wants them found. Pray that Eric and Erica will come to the end of themselves and see the light and truly yield their lives to Jesus once for all. And I'll know what it happens because the can I say this? I'm going to say it whether I can or not. Because the F words and all the other foul language will disappear. And because the drinking will no longer have a hold. And because it won't be like pulling teeth to come to church, it'll be a joyous thing to do. Friends, there's a difference when Christians become Christians. And I so want to see that in Erica and Erica's life. I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust him again. But I want to count him as a brother in Jesus. And so far, I, I can't. Would you pray for them? And what I just told you about Eric and Erica, it, it kind of goes ditto for the rest of Elsie's kids. So if you multiply that by several more times, you can imagine the stress that Elsie lives under all the time. Her concern for her children. Now, we could tell you some other real positive stuff, but you can come to Multnomah Camp and hear it all about that. And, and where's Bobby? Did he leave? There you are. Bobby, it, camp does not boil down to 7 o'clock. At 10 o'clock in the morning, there's a missionary hour, and I hear it's pretty interesting, and there's going to be a whole lot of stuff shared every morning at 10 o'clock. And I, I'm, I'm not passing judgment because I'm there. Many of you are of the age that you're not clocking into work every day. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. So, it's really easy to get to Multnomah Holiness Camp. No, we would love to share with you, and we're going to be telling a whole lot more stories. But friends, we really do need your prayers. You know, a little money's nice too, but we really need your prayers. Because uh, we believe we've got about a year and a half to go, and then we're going to retire. I don't know, retire, retread, retrain, re-something, I don't know. But I think we got about a year and a half in Navajo land. So would you just pray for us? Because we want to finish well. We want to see people come to the Lord. And we want to see them be grounded so they stay with the Lord. And we need your help to do that. God bless you. Thanks. Love to chat with you after the service. Jim. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I encourage you to 
take some time to be able to talk with them today if you can. Um, we also, too, if you want, you can have a little fellowship time downstairs. We've got the table set up, chairs. We don't have any food offered for you, but you can take some fellowship time down there if you'd like. And uh, those who don't do stairs, we do have a lift. You can use the lift to head on downstairs as well, too. But i um, not saying everybody's got to go down there, but we got plenty of room here to be able to talk, and you can visit with uh, Dave and Carol and get to know them a little bit better if you haven't yet. And uh, to find out how you might be able to support them. Yeah, financially, of course, that, that's just a, a need in that way. But like Dave said, prayerfully. Being able to pray for them and uh, pray for the situations that they are involved with and ministry that's going on there. But uh, uh, how are you, how is God prompting you to uh, be a part of the ministry that's going on there and uh, the reservation that they're involved with to be able to, uh, for God to be able to use them in a special way? Um, maybe you are part of that plan as well, too. So if God is prompting you in some way to be part of that, then uh, be obedient and uh, have a little talk with uh, Dave and Carol, find out what's going on that way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us a couple songs, uh, end our time here together. And uh, again, just uh, finding ways out uh, as far as how to, how to be used by God. Uh, we've had Dave and Carol here to share as well, and they've shared some some prayer requests as well, but uh, what is it maybe in your community and where you're at, how God can use you and following what in Acts 26 and uh, Paul gave his testimony, what are some ways you can follow that and be be a witness wherever you are at? Uh, it's important to be used by God. It's important to be ready to be used by God as well. So I trust as we sing these last two songs, you'll be able to uh, uh, figure that out with God. What is it that God would have for you to do in the days ahead and weeks ahead for his glory? <laughs> 